so we definitely give praise and thanks to God for his tender mercies. Good morning. At this time, our kids can head off to junior church. And for us in here, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Some wonderful singing this morning. Oh, that we could just meditate on the grace of God throughout our life, different events, different situations that we've come across. And it's amazing how short-term memory works. A lot more people have a greater opportunity to remember those that have happened a long time ago than those that have just recently happened. And so I thank God for both short-term and long-term memories. Not a part of the sermon, but, you know, one of the most powerful verses to me in all of Scripture is Joshua when they crossed over the Jordan River. And as they were crossing over the Jordan, Joshua commanded them to bear up 12 stones and to set them up on the other side of the river as a memorial unto the fact that God has dried up the, land, the sea for them to cross over the Jordan on dry land. And that it would be a memorial for all generations. How we need memorials today of God's working in our lives through the situations because it's not, qu- it's not long before our flesh, the culture, and the adversary wants to go ahead and allow us to have short-term memory loss and forget what God's done in our lives. But that'll be for another day. So, Hall of Fame. What is the point of sports Hall of Fame? How many people in here love Major League Baseball? Or at least like watching baseball, I should say. Okay, couple. How many people like watching football? Specifically the NFL. The NFL. Man, look at all them. Not a single hand. I know, Brock, you're a Packers fan. I wouldn't like the NFL either, so that's fine. College football, yeah? yeah. Okay. Roll Tide, what about War Eagle? Oh, yeah. There's no vocalization of War Eagle. How many Boomer Sooner are we having here? The what? The dogs? Who let the dogs out? <laughs> what about hockey? Hockey? Okay, I got a couple hockey folks in here. I'm a Nashville Predators fan. I love it. My wife loves me so much that a couple years ago, she let me take her to a Nashville Predators hockey game on our anniversary. How much love is that? There were no fights, unfortunately, and the Predators lost 4-1 to to, to uh, one of the worst teams in the NHL. But we had a great time nonetheless. So what is the point of Hall of Fames? You see, if you look at each of these sports uh, leagues, the NHL mentions the fact that it honors the legends of the game and preserves the memories of hockey in the country. If you look at the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, they preserve, to, uh, they preserve sports history, honor excellence within the game, and make a connection between generations of people who enjoy baseball. The NFL Sports Hall of Fame says that they pay tribute to the talents and triumphs of pro football's greatest legends. You see, through the major sports in America, what's revealed in the Hall of Fame is that it's a place that seeks to preserve memories of those who contributed to the sports with excellence in record-setting seasons. They're considered pioneers, influencers, MVPs, and legends in their game. The Hall of Fame is the place to go when you want to see how the best of the best played their particular sport. 
and how they played it off the field as well. You learn how they broke records, set trends, gave back to their city and community service. It's a really memorable place to consider those who went before us in sports. You see, when you go to these Hall of Fame places, you get a feel for how the game is actually meant to be played. Those in the prime of their, their age, the top of their league. If you're a baseball fan, it's doubtless that you haven't heard of Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth, or Hank Aaron. Likely, if you're an NFL fan, you've probably heard of Walter Payton, Jim George, and the Purple People Leaders of the Minnesota Vikings. Or if you're a hockey fan, doubtless you haven't heard of Wayne Gretzky, Pavel Bure, or Adam Oates. They are well known to the hockey fans. You see, the Hall of Fame consists of players, memories, and triumphs of those who were in the sport. You see, the biblical Hall of Fame is no different. And in Hebrews chapter 11, 1 and 2, we're told some interesting things about these lists of people. Now, I said we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. We're just going to do a surface on Hebrews 11. We're told in verse number 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Now, if we were to jump down to verse 39, we read, And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. You see, the biblical hall of faith are accounts of great men and women of Christianity and how they used their faith in God to change not only the community around them, but the world as well. And just like the sports legends, you and I still talk about these Christians in the biblical hall of fame. You see, we will speak of Noah and how Noah had faith in God's word to build the ark in the midst of scoffing. Abraham and how he had faith in God's word to leave his home when it may have made no sense to him. Sarah and how she eventually had faith in God's word when everything inside of her told her she couldn't have another child. Isaac and how he had faith in God's word of the children of Israel to come from his lineage even though his family was divided. And Moses when he had faith in God's word of protection against the Pharaoh and impossible odds. See, the biblical hall of faith, yes, it does provide a witness to those who successfully lived a life of faith consistently, or did they? See, a lot of times you and I will read Hebrews chapter 11, this hall of fame, if you will, and we'll read about these great men and women of the faith and say, wow, I could never be like them. But hang on a second. Did you know, after the flood, Noah got drunk off his own wine and led his sin into a his, his son into a sinful action. Abraham lied twice about his wife being his sister because he was fearful of death. Sarah developed a carnal plan to have the child that God had promised miraculously. Isaac, like his father, lied about his wife being his sister because he was feared of being killed as well. And Moses was a murderer of an Egyptian. He doubted God's ability to use him as a spokesman for the Israelite people and to the Pharaoh. And not only that, after crossing the Red Sea, he consistently had a little bit of an anger issue during the Exodus. See, a lot of times we look at the men and women in Hebrews chapter 11 and we try to compare ourselves to them and say we can't measure up. We discredit our own ability to exhibit the same amount of faith in a certain situation as they did. Or maybe we think these men and women are better or greater or stronger than us Yet they had the same struggles with immorality. They had the same struggles with sinfulness and unfaithfulness in their lives as well. 
See, I don't believe Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of fame, is meant to be people that we imitate or meant to be people that we want to uh, walk in their shoes and after their shoes. But rather, I believe Hebrews chapter 11 is there for us to realize what living a faith in the midst of struggles and obstacles can do. You see, this is a message I've titled, Don't Give Up. Clinging on to your faith in the fire. It is my prayer that this morning, this message is used for those of you that may be in the midst of a fire. That may be struggling with questions, with doubts, with bad situations you may find yourself in. And I pray this message is there to equip you, encourage you, to give you the endurance to get through whatever struggles you're facing. Let us pray. God, I thank you for the singing this morning. I thank you for the freedom to carry your word. And Lord, I thank you for the fact of the preservation of your word. For it's because of your word that we've looked at and briefly discussed that people had trust in and took faithful actions because of the promise you made. So Lord, I pray that this morning, this message, that the Spirit would use us to equip us, to encourage us, to just give us the strength to keep moving another day. So Lord, I pray you do the work only you can do because I got nothing in me. And I pray you would just be pleased and honored in this message and the Spirit does the work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You see, you may be like Noah going through life and the culture around you, the people around you are scoffing. They're making a mockery of your faith, of the positions you hold, the values you hold, what you stand up to. You may be going through that same persecution and you just want to give up your faith. You may be feeling like God is asking you to do something that just makes no sense to you whatsoever. It can't be from God because God makes sense, right? And so you're questioning his will and his ways. You may be clinging on to the last shred of hope that you have to change a relationship or a financial situation. And everything inside of you is telling you it can't happen. You can't get through this. You may be facing the grim news of a health situation or a job situation. And it seems the odds of overcoming this grim situation are all but impossible. So you're willing to throw in the towel. If either of these are you right now, I pray don't quit. Don't give up. I pray that you keep (laughs) I pray you keep enduring in the word of God. And that's really what I want to look at. You see, we said Hebrews chapter 11 isn't isn't a list of people for us to imitate. They're not people for us to walk in their shoes. Matter of fact, if you want, you can go back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 35. I think this is really the thesis as far as why the author put these people here. You see, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 35, the author says, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. You see, the letter to Hebrews are written to Hebrew Christians. And so, matter of fact, these Hebrews have come out of the Old Testament law. They're unto grace. They were tempted to go back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. Not holding on to the faith alone and Christ alone by grace alone message that was preached and that Jesus Christ died for. The culture around them, the influences around them are all telling them, you need to go back to the law. You need to go back to Judaism. You need to change and stop. You're on the wrong path. And so these Jewish Christians are tempted to go back to a way that's become inoperable thanks to, due to the death 
in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the author promises them that if they can keep an active faith in the midst of their struggles and temptations, they will be richly rewarded and receive the promise, the great recompense, verse number 35 says. Verse 36, the author says, For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. You see, I believe this promise is that actual aspect of the great recompense that Jesus Christ offers here in Hebrews. You see, the reason why the list of the Hall of Faith inductees is mentioned, if you were to ask me, is because hindsight's twenty twenty. In other words, we can look at the situation that these people were going through, whether it was Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Enoch, all these people, Joseph. We can see the situation that they were going through. We can see the decisions in life that they've made, and we can see the outcomes and the choices and how they influenced, good, bad, or indifferent, different people in their lives and communities. You see, the Old Testament inductees in this Hall of Fame are simply examples of active faith when they had to decide what to do. Whether it's amidst scoffing and critics, impossible odds, internal confusion and doubts, they show that faith triumphs over situational doubts. You see, I was wondering about showing this picture, but it's kind of comical. But many years ago when I was in basic training, I was in basic training back in 2000. During career week, we had uh, the opportunity to identify which base we would like to be assigned to. And for whatever reason, out of all the bases in the entire world, you would think, okay, maybe Germany, maybe Italy, maybe Florida, not Montana. I chose to go to Tinker Air Force Base, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. This is a picture of me and my grandfather when I graduated from basic training. A little different, huh? You see... Little did I know, hindsight's twenty twenty. the decision of going back to Tinker Air Force Base would have in my personal life. Matter of fact, that's where I met my wife. I still have no idea why she decided to, to give a 117-pound, bald-headed airman a chance at a date. But she did. So I met my wife. And we dated. We ended up getting married. And from there, we had two children, our son Gage and our daughter Alyssa. Eventually, we got stationed here in Maxwell Air Force Base, and it was at this very church that I received the free gift of eternal life. And so I came. Preacher was preaching out of uh, Philippians chapter 3, talking about all the good works I have done is nothing, and it doesn't merit me eternal life. I was confronted with my sinfulness, and I said, look to the cross and realize the fact that Jesus Christ lived the life that I couldn't live, died the death I deserved to die. He who knew no sin became sin for me, that I might become the righteousness of God. And that by simple faith in the finished work of Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, that I could have that same eternal life. And that's the only way I would be getting to heaven. And so that day, many years ago, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior to take my sins and give me life. You see, little did I know back in September of 2000 of choosing Tinker Air Force Base as my base of the impact it would have on my life. Where I met my wife. I had my kids got saved. I have no idea where I would be at today had Tinker Air Force Base not been my first duty assignment. You see, using these men and women in chapter 11, God reveals that the choices they made had generational effects. And they also had rewards, granted, that otherwise could not have been possible had they not kept the faith in the fire.
Noah could have gave up in scoffing when every single person around him was teasing him, ridiculing him, mocking him, saying, it's been so long and the rain has yet to come. What is rain after all? And yet he continued to have faith in his fire. You see, Abraham and Sarah could have lost the faith in their old age, not having their promised child yet, and gave up all hope and faith. But yet they still trusted. Moses could have saw the Red Sea to his back and the Pharaoh in his front. He could have gave up hope that God was going to protect them and lead them clearly out of Egypt into the promised land. But he had faith and the fire. All that gave them rewards. You see, it gets us to this text verse in chapter 12 in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 12, verse number 1, we read, Wherefore, after listing all these men and women of the Hall of Fame, he says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Hebrews chapter 11, no doubt, these are the giants of Christianity that surround us. And they give witness to what a little bit of faith in a dire situation can accomplish. A little bit of faith in God's promised word could do in the midst of our fire. Noah saved his entire family building the ark. Abraham and Sarah established the line of Messiah. Isaac helped with the Israeli nation. Moses led the people as the ambassador of God. And here in Hebrews, we're told that these cloud of witnesses, that we have to, just like them, lay aside every weight and every sin that doth easily beset us. You see, I, I, I wish that lay aside was in the passive voice because if it was in the passive voice it would have meant that laying aside is something that's done to us that God will allow us to lay aside God will do it for us but it's not it's in the middle voice which is very similar to the active voice the laying aside is something that you and I have to do and you and I have to do it when we're in the fire and that's the hardest time to do it. You see, the weights, and we've talked about this lots of times. You've heard a lot of teachings, a lot of messages on this. But the weights that are being referenced here are in reference to burdens, emotional wounds, emotional scars, stresses, and anxieties. You see, it's amazing because those that know me know that I don't fly. It's kind of funny, you know, an airman, 20 years in the Air Force, and I have a fear of flying. Well, our son flew home on Friday. You know, you know, uh, you could track their flight in air, check their altitude, their speed, stuff like that. And so I uh, was checking his flight and saw that there was a delay and they were taxiing on, on the runway getting ready to take off. Now, I didn't realize it was this bad until this time. But all of a sudden, I just imagined myself in his you know, seat or sitting next to him in the plane getting ready to taxiing off. And I had a panic attack, literally. I almost broke down and I had to go talk to my wife. Just because the fear of flying is so great in me, that weight is holding me down from so many things. That fear of flying is holding me down from going on a trip to Israel. Instead of flying to Montana, that Anxiety, that weight is keeping me down to instead of flying to Montana, driving 2,200 miles in three days in a car. 
I wish laying aside was in the passive voice because God would just do it for me. But that night, just two nights ago, I realized I have to lay aside that weight. God's not going to do it for me. I have to have faith in that struggle. I don't know what weights you have or what you're carrying. I don't know what emotional stresses, anxieties, turmoils you're going through. But we have to lay it aside. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Not only laying aside the weights, but we also need to lay aside the sins. You see, the sins are a little more simpler to understand because the sins are simply the transgressing of God's law. See, I'm sure this morning all of us are carrying one, if not both, of these weights and these sins. And if we want to gain victory, we're going to have to lay them aside. If we choose not to lay them aside and you're like me and you allow the fear of flying to cripple you, we're told here in Hebrews that it's going to easily beset us. Or in other words, we're going to be on a ship where the Kraken has its tentacles around the hull of the ship and it's just bringing us down to Davy Jones's locker if we don't lay these fears aside in faith. And it only comes through the fire. You see, let's look at Noah and them. Noah had to lay aside the stress of the scoffers. Abraham had to lay aside the anxiety of leaving everything he knew and his family behind. Moses had to lay aside the comfort of Egypt and the persecution uh, of the Hebrew life. And he had to lay aside his past murdering of the Egyptian. I don't think they have ever would have been inducted in the Hall of Fame if they didn't lay aside their weights and their sins. It doesn't mean they were perfect. It just meant that they overcame something and their little bit of faith was used mightily. Again, I don't know what weight and sin you need to lay aside, but unless we go to God for discernment, say, God, help me understand. And we seek the Spirit's power in laying it down, me just trusting in God's word to get on a plane. I heard David Jeremiah say this morning that he told a story of a lady that was fearful I believe fearful flying as well. And she was going to, I don't know, Nevada to see one of her daughters. And she had this fear. But she overcame it because she was like, well, on, I have two, da- two daughters. One of them's in Nevada, one's in heaven. Regardless of how this flight turns out, I'm seeing one of my daughters. You know, and that's the kind of faith that I need to have to lay aside. But I struggle with it. And because of that, it brings me down. You see, unless we seek the Spirit's power in laying aside our weights and our sins, we will never be able to gain victory in our lives and live a life full of faith. You see, not only do we need to lay aside the weight and the sin, but also need to run the race before us with what? With patience, with endurance. You see, I'm not going to spend a very long time on this, but we realize that this life is not a sprint. It's merely a marathon. We have to stay focused, stay refueled, and keep the focus on putting one foot in front of the other. As the old adage goes, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. You see, there will be battles we win and some we lose, but we must never give up our faith in God's word and trusting in his promise, no matter how hot the flames get. You see, during this marathon of life struggles, we're going to look at verse number two, and really that's where we're going to park for a very brief amount of time. In verse number two, the author says, and as far as with patience running the race, we are to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Again, the hall of faith in chapter 11 isn't there for us to focus on. 
and imitate their lives. Rather, we are told that we must look to Jesus Christ and him alone as far as how to live this life of faith. Jesus Christ is the only one who has ever lived that perfect life of faith. And we must focus and keep our eyes on him. You see, the terms author and finisher of our faith means that he is the archetype archetype in the perfection of living faith. In other words, Jesus is the supreme model of how to live and never give hope no matter the fire that you're in. So the question becomes this morning, how do we do this like Jesus? So there's really four things I want to look at very briefly and we'll be done. First, we're told here in verse number two that Jesus endured the cross. Jesus endured the cross. Do you think it took Jesus by surprise that the crucifixion happened? Do you think Jesus Christ knew before Passion Week what was going to happen to him? Do you think Jesus Christ knew his purpose of becoming man to do what he did to live the life that he lived? You see, I believe Jesus knew the crucifixion very well. I knew Jesus Christ knew the excruciatingly painful process that he would endure. The scourging, the rusty nails that were thrust in his body. The splinter-laden wooden beam digging into his back. And the struggle of asphyxiation while hanging there on the cross. Jesus knew the pain. And Jesus knew the struggle. Jesus even knew the stress as he was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying to the Father with sweat drops of blood, saying, let this cup pass. He knew all too well the trouble, the struggles, the anxieties that we go through. You see, it's interesting. It says Jesus endured the cross. The cross did not take his life. Jesus did not lose the battle. To endure means that you've gotten through a situation. You've came through it. You see, you can endure a screaming baby on an airplane. You can endure a root canal Jesus endured the cross, the pain, the struggle. He went through it for you and I, and he did this when you and I were sinners and enemies of God. You see, whatever you're going through, first thing we have to look at and keep our eyes on Jesus is the fact that we've got to endure it. It's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. You may not have rusty nails in you, but it may feel like that. You may not be physically scourged on your back, but it might feel like that. But you have to endure in the faith and the promise and the trust of God's word. No longer, no matter how long and dark the valley is, most valleys have a path on the floor. Just follow that path, and I promise you, you will get through In verse number 12, it says, not only did he endure the cross, but he despised the shame. In other words, he didn't care that the shame would be brought to him. Again, he who knew no sin became sin for us. He didn't care what the world thought as far as why he's on the cross. He didn't care about the reviling, the mocking. He cared about fulfilling his purpose, his mission. Imagine this. With his very breath, he could have obliterated everybody and anybody in a moment's notice that spoke ill of him. But he didn't. He endured that cross and he despised that shame. Jesus knew there was a process in holding faith in the fire. And part of that process is the shame that the devil is going to try to throw your way and my way when we're struggling. 
whether it's family, whether it's health, whether it's job, whether it's sin, whether it's con- condemning ourselves, the devil is going to go ahead and try to bring shame your way. You have to despise that shame because it will cripple you. You have to despise the shame of independence, believing you can get through this on your own. You have to despise the shame of pride that I can't let anybody see what I'm going through. You have to despise the shame of showing your emotion. It's amazing because David Jeremiah also pointed out the fact that the deeper your pain, the shorter your prayer. The deeper your pain, the less eloquent your prayer. Some of the deepest pains in the Bible with the prayers of God, help me. You see, when you're in the depths of the pain, you don't have time to try to conjure up fancy, eloquent words. You're trying to get what feeling on the inside, outside. And you're talking to a father that loves you and I more than anything in the world. But sometimes the devil wants to bring shame. Our flesh wants to bring shame, shame of independence, shame of pride. And it keeps us from crying out to God. You see, if this is you this morning, I implore you to go ahead and plead to God for help. You see, when I had to take my spiritual retreat, Pastor Ken briefly mentioned it. I did a little lesson on it and called Illustrations uh, for a Revived Heart, I believe it is. You know, I got there and... And the first thing I did when I checked into the cabin is got on my knees right there at the couch in the cabin. I just tried praying, trying to be all fancy. But I was so deep in the pain that I just sort of babbled. The depth of the pain brings a short prayer. You see... You need to despise the shame because if we don't despise the shame, if we allow the shame to take hold of us again, we're going to be like that crack in in that ship being brought down. You see, when I expressed clearly what my heart felt and the struggles and the pains I was in, if you watch that, that video, God clearly revealed himself to me. Many times, God, show me your glory. I'm not Moses, but show me your glory. Simple prayer. So powerful that time. I don't think it would have happened if I wasn't raw with him. You see, so you need to endure your cross. You need to despise the shame. But then the question goes, why did Jesus endure the cross and why did he despise the shame? Well, we're told that in verse number two as well because we're said, who for the joy that was set before him. Jesus knew there was a plan in the pain. He knew there was a process of the pain. He knew there was a payoff as well. He knew the horrible things that were going to happen. The loss of friends that were going to go away. The loss of family that were going to ridicule him. He knew about the physical pains. He wept over the city of Jerusalem, which was lost to a culture of depravity and unfaithfulness and unbelief. See, no matter what, through the fire he got through it unscathed. Why? Because he stood by faith. Even though the crucifixion happened on Friday, he knew Sunday morning was coming. He knew that day was there. And in our lives, would it not be safe to say that the days grow brighter after the darkest clouds? And so it's, it's like, the, again, the old adage, the only, you don't know what you have until it's gone. And even still, when we see the dark clouds in our lives and situations around us, we have got to remember that the sun is still shining. The sun is still there, even though we may not be able to see it. 
when we're in the fire, we got to realize that there's a plan and there's a process. You see, you got to realize that the pain you may find yourself in, the trial, the struggle you may find yourself in, is temporary. Even if it lasts the rest of our mortal life, it's temporary. Because as a child of God, we have what's known as eternal life. And we have the hope and the promise and the expectation of a glorified body that will happen. So that pain that we may find ourselves in, that we may not even ever overcome medical, relational situations, one day it will all be a thing of the past. It is not forever. You see, a woman in childbirth has excruciating pain. I think men, no, I'm not even going to say that. Some people think men could endure childbirth. I don't. I don't think men could endure that. Hats off to you ladies that have given birth. But would you not say that the excruciating pain of giving birth brought one of the greatest blessings, rewards, and joys in your life after it was all said and done? Sometimes joy comes through pain. You see, Jesus Christ endured the cross. We have to endure our cross. Jesus Christ despised the shame. We have to despise our shame. And look at this. Because of all this, we're set at the end of verse 2. Jesus is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus received his reward of taking up his throne in heaven. Had Jesus succumbed to the devil and the temptation in the wilderness... Had he succumbed to immorality and the hedonistic culture around him? Had he succumbed to giving up and losing faith in the fire when he was arrested and tried? He never would have received the inheritance of the throne. Through it all, Jesus Christ never lost faith no matter how hot the flames got. His focus was on the good to come, the reward that was promised. You see, a crown of life in the New Testament is promised to those of us that have gone through the struggles, that have gone through the trials, that have gone through the fire and successfully overcame it through faith. There's a crown of life laid up for you and I. You see, not only that, but Jesus Christ promises to be with you and I in the struggles and the turmoils. You see, again, the fiery furnace in Daniel. You know, Nebuchadnezzar uh, threw in three. And there is a fourth, like the Son of Man in there. Jesus Christ will be with you. We just need to speak to him. We need to ask him for help. We need to trust that he's there. And to get us through, day by day, moment by moment, situation by situation. Because if we could cling on to the fire, the faith in the fire, then we can be richly rewarded for the faith that we've endured. See, remember back in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 35? Those early Christians were struggling to keep their faith because of the trials and the struggles they were in. They were struggling not to go back to the Old Testament law. They wanted to walk away from their faith so that they can get assimilated back into the family and the cultures and the customs they knew well enough. But then the cloud of witnesses in Hebrews chapter 11 of all these people that were going through similar struggles and trials are a picture of what a little bit of faith can do in their current situation. They were encouraged by reading these stories and implored to keep persevering in the act of faith because just like this, their reward would be waiting. And this is a similar vein for you and I. In the midst of the struggles, the anxieties, the pains that we carry, for maybe loved ones that have gone prodigal, for the fractured relationships that we're carrying and walking around with, the problems at our jobs, the insecurities in ourselves, 
We've got to cling on to our faith and trust in the plan of God and the process of what's happening. You see, if we let go, number one, we will never be inducted into a hall of fame such as this list. Number two, our actions of living a faith in the midst of the fire could never be used as an example for those loved ones around us to see how God can get us through with just a little bit of faith. For you, I ask you to just cling on to your faith in the fire and endure the pain. Jesus promises a great reward to just endure the struggles and the trials and the pain you're going through. In the fire of scoffing, Noah had faith in God's word. In the fire of confusion, Abraham had faith in God's word. In the fire of doubts, Sarah had faith in God's word. In the fire of unseen fulfillment, Isaac had faith in God's word. In the fire of mortality, Moses had faith in God's word. So what do you say or do to somebody who's at the end of their ropes, clinging on to the last thread of faith? Hold on to faith in God's word. Trust in his promise because the payoff will be worth it. You see, with this, and I want to close, Lawrence Bishop lay battered and bruised and weakened for two, from two days without food and two days without water. Clinging to a narrow ledge of slick granite high in the Sierra Nevada, six to seven inches in width. He fell three times cutting his head, scraping up his body. Stayed up all night trying to keep his balance before he realized midday Friday he couldn't make it anymore. Standing on a six to seven inch wide ledge about 150 yards from the bottom, he wedged his body there while he hallucinated about being rescued. He said, I was planted there until somebody found me or I was going to die, Bishop said. He started slipping down the rock on Saturday as his delirium increased and his strength faltered when he spotted what looked like a group of people standing below him. I was kind of on my last foothold holding on, Bishop recalled. I saw some orange suits and got this burst of adrenaline. I instantly sturdied my foot, I sturdied my hand, and I yelled, help me, as loud as I could. The folks in orange were members of the sheriff's volunteer search and rescue team who were walking a grid looking for any sign of Bishop, whose backpack had been located earlier in the day at the top of the peak. Deputy Greg Villanueva said he thought he had heard something too just as a helicopter passed overhead. The deputies waved off the chopper and listened again. Villanueva quickly spotted Bishop, his dark shirt and pants blending into the side of the mountain. He looked like he was just ready to fall. He yelled, don't move, we're coming for you. The rest of the astonished team watched as Rip scrambled up the side of the granite slope. Russ Richardson, the head of the volunteer search crew, said Rip's climb without a rope or other equipment was stressful and amazing. When he reached Bishop, Rip put out his hand on his shoulder, looped the 20-foot section of webbing between the man's legs and over a narrow section of rock. Standard procedure is to lower a, a screamer suit, a sort of full-body sling in which injured people can be loaded and hoisted to safety. But with no room to work, Rip told Bishop his only option was a less secure cinch collar, which fits under a person's arm like a life preserver. With his legs dangling, Bishop was hoisted by the helicopter to save me. 
When they touched me, I kind of collapsed, Bishop said. He saved my life. See, Bishop was clinging to the side of the mountain for days with no food, with no water, hallucinating and delirious on a six-inch wide ledge, 150 yards in the air. If he would have let go, he would have died. But thankfully, Bishop didn't let go. He kept clinging on to the hope, even when it seemed hopeless. He didn't know how long he would have to fight to survive. He just felt like he wasn't going to give up and let go. And because of that, he was rescued from his harrowing struggles. Family, you may be like Bishop today. You may be only moments in your cliffhanging experience in your situation. Or you may be days in waiting for the rescue. But I promise you, rescue will come. Just keep holding on just another day. Because the payoff will be all worth it if you don't let go. God, I thank you again for this message. And Lord, I pray that the Spirit just does all the work with it. I thank you for the faith that we have, that we can have eternal life. I thank you for the fact that as children of yours, that we have the boldness to go to your throne and speak with you. To just implore you, to beg with you. And I thank you for the fact that you're a God who hears, a God who listens, a God who provides rescue. So, God, today I don't know who's going through what. I don't know the struggles that are being faced. I don't know the turmoil that's happening. But for anybody there that's going through, God, I pray that the Spirit would just encourage them to just keep holding on one more day. Keep trusting in your word and the promise that all this pain, all the struggles, all the trials will be worth it one day in the end. And give us assurance and confidence knowing that the pains and the situations we are in are but temporary. For there's a greater place waiting for us. And so, Lord, just give us strength to cling on to our faith in the midst of the fire. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and we'll sing the hymn.